0: and welcome to George Ezra and Friends, the podcast where our guest this week is the one and only Kurt Vile. Now, Kurt... Uh, released an album last year and Kurt has a number of amazing albums but last year he released Bottle It In and it is an amazing record from start to finish it is a brilliant record to sit back and listen to if you haven't done already I would go and listen to that for sure and it was just an absolute pleasure to sit down with the man himself and talk about how this record came to be and we also spoke about you know his experiences before this particular album and how he got into music Um, and where he sees himself, where where where, where he sees it heading. Um, and it was just lovely. We, we were actually, myself and Kurt, we were on tour um, and we were playing, kind of, we were chasing one another around Europe. I don't think he was aware of this as much as I was, but essentially every venue we played, he was either playing the night before or the night after. Or he was in the same town the same night we were. And then finally, we managed to get together in Glasgow. So, um, and he was the perfect guest. Thank you very much for being so welcoming to me, Kurt. Thank you for that, if you're listening, of course. Um, And if you're listening to this at the half-time break, the interval of this podcast, we will hear a word from our partners at Mind Charity. Our Mind are a group of people, lovely people, who have set out to help all of us with our mental health so there is no problem too big or too small they want all of us to be happy and healthy so thank you very much Mind we will hear a word from them and of course there might be one or two swear words in this episode so if you are listening with young people around um, just a heads up there might be a naughty word or two Um, I'm not going to say anything more let's jump into the conversation ladies and gentlemen Kurt Vile Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to this week's episode of George Ezra and Friends where I am joined by Kurt Vile. Hey. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we good.
1: That was very official. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Good. Um, good morning. We're both on the road, right? Wait, where did you play? Last? So
0: we played Glasgow last night and oh, we're cool. playing again tonight. Wow. Um, we've just done three weeks around Europe um, and then had a few days at home and now it's the UK leg of the tour. But it's cool. it's kind of we released I released an album earlier this year and did a tour around that you know straight mm-hmm. off the back and then this is the tour where the kind of album's setting in and it's it's kind of it feels like it's been with people's lives for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know I
1: I see your name everywhere actually it's funny but I w-
0: <laughs> Yeah. I just been on the road yeah, so it's yeah, like yeah. all a blur I'm like I yeah. got a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I oversleep. Well, we played um Stockholm. I think the day your, I, th- I think it was the day that Bottle It In was released or nearby. Then mm. how long's it been out now? Well, yeah,
1: we are literally just missing each other then yeah. because Stockholm. I played Hamburg the day it was released, and Stockholm was literally maybe the second day, yeah, maybe the third day, tops.
0: Yeah, so we like, we had a day off in Stockholm, okay. and we were walking down, and I I visited this record store. And there was Kurt Vile bottle it in you know on the on the shelves. I put it on instantly. I, we'll get to this. I would love to talk about that. <laughs> I love the album. Oh, I thanks. think it's amazing, and I'd love to know how that's going. Touring that mm-hmm. um, something that I love to do on the show, and I think people appreciate something. I should say is a lot of the listeners to this podcast are European. Or British. Okay. And uh, I th- you are a fish- You're my second American guest. Oh, wow. How does that feel? It feels pretty, <laughs> pretty special. <laughs> you're <waving laughs> Who's the Who's the first one? Uh, Nile Rogers. Wow. Yeah. Um, Damn. And he's got a residency at um, Abbey Road Studios at the moment. So I went and visited him there, um, which was cool. But I think it would be amazing to talk to you about what it was like to grow up in Philadelphia and where that led you musically, if at all, if you think you got anything from growing up in Philadelphia musically.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, um, I don't know how it shaped my sound exactly, but at the same time, I kind of do if I look at it, but it's, like, hard to explain. But the way I usually explain it is, um, Philadelphia is very working class. First of all, I w- grew up in the suburbs just outside of Philly, not like far suburbs. Like sometimes people say they're from Philly, but they're from like a place like the main line, which is kind of well off or something. But I'm um, I'm from the more working class suburbs, um, call a, a suburb called Lansdowne, but I would take the trolley right into the city and buy records. Um, but yeah, like kind of growing up with the city's landscape, whether it be, I often think of um, like the uh, sort of factory beat down factory buildings and things. Or if you saw the, if you saw the cover of my very first album,
0: yeah,
1: Constant Hitmaker. I'm in front of this blasted out wall. It's a beautiful wall, uh, but you know it's decayed. Now, now I go p- go past that wall. I took that photo and. You know, 2008 or something.
0: Yeah.
1: But now I look at that wall and it's completely fixed. But back then it was like a beautiful Rauschenberg painting, you know. Yeah. And I feel like I don't know, especially in the fall. You know, when you go to school in the fall, the maybe this. It's like just walking home from school is kind of nostalgic. When especially in the fall, with certain smell, and then, and then it even when you go to work and have a nine to five job. You know, you start coming home a little later, and so the sun is setting when you're going home, and sort of like the sun setting. The sunsets really look really cool around that time of year, kind of going along the the skyline of the those factories and like mm-hmm. the places I worked in. A I don't know. I've always been kind of a dreamer anyway, but th- that's just like the landscape around me and stuff. But uh, uh, it's also like a kind of ballbuster town, you know, city <laughs> yeah. um, uh, similar to Australians, but more. Uh, Australians can be more clever with their ball-busting. Philly, we're just mean. (laughs) For (laughs) (laughs) means sake.
0: (laughs) It's just how you know it. So you just mentioned how this beautiful wall that you took the artwork for your first album, Constant Hitmaker, you say that it's kind of been someone's looked after a little bit. Yeah, uh, gentrification. Is that happening a lot in Philadelphia?
1: I would say so. I mean, um, that's in... I worked at the Philadelphia Brewing Company from 2003 when i was 23 till 2009 you know when i finally left that job and became just a full-time musician
0: yeah
1: um but yeah and that was in kensington and i could walk there from northern liberty East through fishtown into kensington kensington's also in uh london somewhere yeah yeah, yeah
0: kensington's yeah. posh in london
1: Oh, okay well kensington in philly is not quite posh um, but it used to be much more rundown but yeah like fish town like it's a po- hard to park all the, all those things now you know at least on the weekends and
0: uh, this is like a Kurtval trip advisor to Philadelphia
1: <laughs> yeah well you, you you're gonna want to go there it's funny the it's funny to trip advise from over here because I, I wouldn't say a Londoner should take me too seriously and like just jump on a plane to get to Fish Town, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: But if you're ever there, it's but worth if you're there, it. you might
1: as well go. Definitely see some shows that, like Johnny Brenda's, or
0: we played last time we were in Philadelphia. We yeah, played where the, did you play? We played the Fillmore. Oh yeah, and like the the, the backstage. Well, I, that's that's big. Yeah, it was beautiful. The backstage, like the. Oh yeah, and i I asked my tour manager because I said to him, I said, this is the kind of thing I would um, donate a certain amount to keep to upkeep the venue like this because it was so nice it came kind of three weeks into touring and then we found ourselves in this backstage that was comfortable nice lighting fun that's nice
1: it was probably influenced a little by if you ever play the electric factory that's an older venue but it's like very cool in the back it's got like you know like like uh foosball and yeah, stuff yeah, for that's the musicians exactly it. you know
0: but it makes oh, a Oh, that difference. one had like
1: a, has like a tie fighter or something, doesn't it? Yeah. Like hanging from the, <laughs> yeah, I guess, does. Star Wars tie yeah, fighter.
0: Yeah, And so you you mentioned briefly then kind of getting the training to record stores and stuff. When, I've heard you mentioned before in interviews coming from a musical family and whether that be a family that loves music or plays music, I'm, I don't know if that kind of differs between family members.
1: Yeah, it differs between family members, everybody uh, loves music. I mean, some people are more obsessed than others. Uh, I think the boys are obsessed in one way and the girls are obsessed in another way. Uh, some of the girls are a little more casual or they're, they're just not, you know, it's, there's definitely a difference between the boys and the girls in my family. I don't know if that's because it's a sort of religious background Mm -hmm. or, and culture and like the old guard, you know, old and the culture's changing. But anyway, i feel like the the females they are definitely obsessed with things but they're a little quieter about it but the dude every every dude in my family <laughs> every dude in my family <laughs> is um pretty obsessive about uh music and their favorite bands over the top and um yeah and then a lot of them play but my youngest sister madeline who's my the youngest in the family and uh, she's uh, my sister, who is obviously a girl. Uh, she she plays the violin and she's super musical. So she's she's uh yeah and that, yeah my, my oldest sister too. She she played a little bit and she sang. But yeah, m- most of the boys are the ones who obsessively play string it's instruments. It's
0: worth saying for listeners that you're one of ten. So I'm one of ten.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm one of ten. Sorry, so that's crazy.
0: But when you say the boys and the girls, that makes more yeah, sense.
1: Five and five. Yeah, yeah exactly. Five boys, five girls, it's kind of, yeah, funny, funny upbringing. I'm sure that shaped my sound. Yeah, I <laughs> bet, I it's bet. Equal to, maybe I probably didn't see the city the way yeah. most people see it, because it's always been, this. yeah.
0: And and would you, you were saying how the boys um, mostly played string instruments.
1: Yeah, I'd t- say, my brother Luke, just under me, he plays the drums. Mm-hmm. He could. Be, he, he's percussive. I remember, he get, got really good at weird things like the Jews harp, you know, like that mm. jaw harp, that hick thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could make that thing talk. But he's the only, and, and then all the other boys in the family play string instruments, or, you know, three others. Oh, I'm getting all mixed up, whatever.
0: I'm getting mixed up. And where do you fall as, did you have older siblings, older brothers, older sisters?
1: I have two older sisters but I'm the oldest son which also shaped myself, (laughs) like being like the the oldest son kind of uh, makes me like some kind of king. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know. And so were you the first to get a string instrument? Would you have been introducing your younger siblings too? Yeah,
1: them? I was the first to play instruments in general. I, I've, in fact, first I picked up the trumpet You know, in fourth grade, I played that first. And then my brother, Paul, who is not just under me, the one just under that, he started playing it, and then I played the banjo. My, which I wanted it to be a guitar, but my dad gave me a banjo, and that was fine, because a year later I got a guitar. But And then a little after that, my brother Paul started playing the banjo too, and he played it more like um, bluegrass style, yeah. right out of the gates, whereas I kind of played my own style, uh, strumming and stuff, mm. and then didn't, didn't really take to the bluegrass style. Now I can pick it. I, I, don't, I still don't really play the bluegrass style, but I can finger pick and do more ethereal type of things with it.
0: Do you find sometimes when your understanding of an instrument is less, you're more creative with it? For
1: sure. And I've even seen this with my um, youngest daughter. She's really musical. She's like me. Um, She'll just go to any instrument and... And uh, just play at the piano, and just make up songs that just sound pretty beautiful right away in the yeah. their own way. And then she used to pick up a guitar and just strum it and make things up. And then we got her a guitar for her birthday, even. And she's she's six now, but we got her a guitar for her fifth birthday, I think so. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, I know it'll change eventually. But I, I sort of I remember I tried to teach her some things, and it almost she doesn't just pick up the guitar and just play it anymore, and I kind of wish I just, just hadn't
0: like. Interfered. Yeah, but
1: that's fine. She'll, her fans are still growing. She'll, she'll, she'll pick it up again.
0: When, because even if it was only a short-lived kind of year that you just had the banjo, the thing about a banjo is the open tuning. Exactly, and so I. Th- if ever anyone says to me I want to introduce my kids to guitar. I always say well you should tune it in an open tuning because then it's instant gratification. They can yeah. strum it
1: open. Well that's what that's what I say a lot, which you may or may not have heard but like that's um that's what definitely open you know my brain was more wide open because yeah had I had played a guitar first I would have got lessons just like I did for the banjo but they would have just I'm sure they wouldn't have told me about it. open tunings
0: forever, you know. No, 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 it's one of those things you find for yourself. So,
1: like, you, you go to the instrument, you know, yeah, because I, I remember trying to tune people's guitars to open tuning and yeah. not even getting it right at first, but still, yeah. But yeah, like, uh, for those who wouldn't know, a banjo is usually tuned to open G, so you just strum, don't, don't touch any of the frets and strum it, that's a G, and you could bar your whole finger, finger, just straight across the second fret. That's an A. You know, go up to the fourth fret. That's a B.
0: And you can just move around. Then you've got chords instantly. Yeah,
1: and then there's just uh, there's less um, there's just four main strings anyway. So less less you know <laughs> less to less worry less, about. less strings to like worry about. So you put one finger down. It sounds beautiful. Yeah. You know, usually. Yeah. You know. Two. You know. Beautiful. You might have fucked
0: it but it might yeah, sound yeah, good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but once you know the basic uh formations it's wide open, it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, yeah. And how long after getting your uh guitar or banjo would you have been writing songs yourself?
1: Immediately. Oh. I wrote songs like immediately. Um I got a banjo when I was fourteen. Yeah, and um just cause even they gave me some lessons, but I think even before I took some lessons, I was just playing it, you know, making up some melodies or at least picking up melodies from songs, mm-hmm. the music that I liked or something. But yeah, once I got taught a few chords, I was just switch them up, you know, from other songs. I'll just you know combine every chord I know. Yeah. I miss kind of miss the early days because I don't miss them, but. I don't know, for, for instance, recently I just got a bunch of harmonicas from Hohner for, you know, for free, which was amazing because they're ridiculously expensive, but they're all different keys, which is like, thank God I should just try and, like, play and, yeah. you know, I kind of play in my comfortable comfort zone more than ever, but back then I would, like, combine every chord I knew and right. I kind of forget, I don't know, I don't jump around too much as usual. You don't I, question it as much. I don't jump around in, in as many keys and mm. chords as I used to. I'm kind of comfortable and... And Ds and Cs and E minors. Uh, I keep going back. I'm like, I'm not gonna write another song on this. Yeah, and then yeah, it's yeah. so comfortable, but not always. But anyway, that that did get me like make make, it, make me go back to playing other chords.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and so, so your first album you released in 2008, which is Constant Hitmaker, and the first time I heard it, I remember thinking. This sounds like a collection of recordings over however you know however long yeah. a period of time.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: And how long a span did those songs come from? Two like two thousand
1: three to two thousand eight is when those. That's the arc of those. Um,
0: and how were you recording them mostly?
1: Um, well, the very first track, which was important because that was the immediate track, because before then I had a lot of these. Made a lot of these CDRs with my own home recordings, and um. Uh, I would say, earlier there are these two brothers, um, I was really good friends, actually three brothers. Dan Park was, and they're still my friends to this day, but Dan Park was in a band and we're close in age, so, and then his brothers were were recording, um, his band, and then so I horned in on that and would record in their house and things like that, early on. Mm. And then, um, first it was Bob Park, he did a lot of my early stuff, and then... Once I started using my own name, Kurt Vile, by the time I was 23, then I started recording some songs with him on his 16-track reel-to-reel. Reel, that I ended up using some of those, like the 2003 mm. ones, and and then I also had this digital eight-track, basically this Roland digital eight-track. So the kind of extra psychedelic ones, and most of them were done on that. But then the th- songs that had. I don't know. I'm not sure if Dave has any on constant hitmaker. But later on, I released th- things like "Song for John and D," which another collection mm-hmm. is "God is Saying This to You," and that has s- uh, songs from all over and songs like um, "Song for John and D," which are better recorded or Dave Park. But anyway, I jumped around a lot there. Sorry, but basically, no, okay. for a while, the CDRs I had, I had all these psychedelic th- songs um, that I recorded, and then and then I did go into one professional studio in 2006 um, with Brian McTeer in Philly and he recorded that song Freeway and that yeah. once I put that up on my MySpace people extra reacted you know and, and so eventually that basically was that was oh. the track one you know Freeway is a very yeah. catchy pop song and then the rest are catchy in their own way uh, there's a lot of pop songs on that there's Breathing Out and Don't Get Cute both of which I recorded and um, you know there's at least another one or two but anyway, just b- starting the thing with Freeway was a big, you know, that made it really pop. Because yeah, otherwise yeah. it would have been just a bunch of slow-fi, so like it yeah. pop.
0: That was interesting to hear you say that you're recording them and you're doing the CDRs and stuff, but you also were uploading them to MySpace.
1: Yeah, early on, uh, some songs. And then and it, it's funny, because 2006, I was like, I didn't know, it was a grey area. I was like, if I, p- if I put this pop song up on the internet... Yeah. Which is really good. Can somebody steal my song? Like, yeah. how's it work, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I just. But uh, then I just gave up. Uh, then I was like, there were different reasons why I was like, all right, I gotta put this up. And it's funny, people reacted right away.
0: Was, was there always an idea in your head that you wanted people to hear what you were doing? Definitely.
1: And it, part of it was working class, part of it's Philly, part of it's, I don't know. But uh, I was definitely getting my stuff around, but it was just, you know. It, One, I would, like, pass my things along to, you know, bands I would open for. My name got around a little bit, but still, the the bands' labels weren't putting me out yet. And my buddy Richie Charles, who worked with me at the brewery, he he started working there, and he really helped me out a lot because he was more from the DIY punk scene, and I feel like everybody I was handing my stuff off to, there, there was, like, a step in between where you're supposed to just... I don't know. I I just he's like you should just put your stuff on a smaller label. And by then, honestly, by the time Constant Hitmaker, by the time somebody was interested in that, I had all. It was um, like 2007 or so. I've had most, almost all of Childish Prodigy done. So I was Mm -hmm. like, by the time I put Constant Hitmaker out, that was like older stuff, you know. And I was like, oh, I'll give it to this smaller label, Um, and, and I'm saving this. That my current stuff for a bigger label, you know, yeah. and which ultimately happened, uh, but it took a few steps for it to c- come out on Matador. So by the time that came out, that was even a couple of years old, you know, it's funny.
0: <laughs> but there was never a notion where for you it was, this, this is, I don't want people to hear this. This is my bedroom no, work. No, but,
1: but I'm glad that the, sort of the constant hitmaker maker thing, uh, yeah, I, I basically, in my own way, but it was more just from be, being beaten down a little bit I thought that, uh, oh, well, these are just old recordings yes. and just get them out to get my name out there, but I'm past this, and then, then people reacted to them, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, no, these are special.
0: And was that, I know that at some point you moved to Boston for a spell?
1: Yeah, that was, um, yeah, basically 2003 I moved back from home Boston. from Boston, so that was my real renaissance. Uh, I took ju- it. 2 years in Boston of tr- having to make new friends aside from, you know, my wife then she was my girlfriend but she was going to grad school and I I was working driving a forklift which was a real ball busting factory job like the the most blue collar you could imagine but I did meet kids that, by going to shows that were actually going to college which I would have been doing more or less and they're listening to crazy music and you know partying and things and so that it was funny the it was a, a dress... Then I'd, I'd be the guy, that, you know, then I'd get up early and go drive the freaking forklift. Yeah. But <laughs> but anyway... Um,
0: were you... Were you? Um,
1: but yeah, so that was like a time of figuring things out myself. Like, I, that's where I bought the digital 8-track. That's where I was getting all kinds of pedals. I had money to buy pedals and nice. getting psychedelic. And definitely uh, definitely um, not super confident in my own... You know, definitely... Uh, I was definitely like a sort of... a. Uh, a learning time
0: sure.
1: uh, but then I came back by the time I came back I was finger picking and I had my yeah, old yeah. friends like the Park Brothers to show that I could finger pick and I was w- one time I visited and I recorded with Dave Park on the reel-to-reel you know and then I went back home and then I came back again that's when I started recording things like I was inspired to be back home you know mm. and I would I was writing really cool songs immediately that you know I ended up putting out like um, song for John and D and my sympathy, which came out on uh, God is saying this to you, and I don't know, a lot of things were coming out then. But it was also I was also high from the fact that I wasn't working anymore. I was like living with my parents for a split second when I was back, you know, in two thousand
0: three. Were you seeking opportunities to play live, and if so, like how far afield would you go?
1: I was, but first I was back in the sub suburbs, and then it wasn't until I got just for a second, and then. Luckily, my wa- wife Suzanne. We we got married in two thousand three as well, in June of two thousand three, and she found a place in Northern Liberties, which was like around the corner from this guitar shop, De Pinto's, where I went. You know, which when I was a kid, the amp that's on the c- cover of Constant Hitmaker, uh, it's a it's a Baldwin professional amp, and that's actually the amp Willie Nelson plays. But anyway, it like that I got when I was a teenager, and back then. Uh, De Pinto Guitars was on Market Street, but then, like, the neighborhoods moved up north to Northern Liberties. That was more, you know, turning into, like, a sort of hipster neighborhood, artist place where musicians lived. So, anyway, she just saw, like, a sign (laughs) around the corner of a house for rent, and so we just, you know, that's... I was playing in this sort of suburban open mic scene, and and then uh, I, did, I didn't start getting real shows in the city till I moved there, you know, and... Um, did it ever take you a
0: running jump to play live? Did, like, with you... Well, the band
1: took a second, you know, it took a second to get the band back together, but luckily I could always fall back on the folk thing, so first mm. I was doing solo shows and... Uh, my cousin, who I went to high school with, um, he was in my band different times you know uh and, and then he was in the first wave of me calling something kurt Vile on the violators and and also but yeah so sometimes the violators would play but then he was in other bands and so uh, but i could always fall back on the folk thing so i would uh, uh you know i could always fall back on the solo yeah. acoustic thing
0: when did you first meet the guy the war on drugs guys and what did that was that at the same time yeah you i met adam when i moved
1: and I don't like it's not guys either it's, it's me and Adam yeah. like I mean that turned into a band, but I met Adam just when I moved back he he lived in Fishtown, and I met him immediately. in fact, it's funny because you're asking him where, how I got my first shows and i got a I got a break playing a show in the park. they put on these shows in the park every year, and there's a guy but anyway, through that I, I knew there was this one guy who books a small club called the fire and uh and went and my buddy Joe who I work with at the brewery, who got me the brewery job, he's like, oh, you should meet my friend, Adam. He's really cool. I'm, he's my roommate. And and I, I met him the day that I went to meet this guy to let you know, book me at mm. the fire. And then I saw that Adam had this Bob Dylan book, you know, the Bob Dylan recordings. And I was obsessed with Dylan at the time. I was just reading only Bob Dylan books. So I had somebody I could talk to this about. And we just went to the bar, the, the fire, and I talked to this Derek to, could to book me and and yeah so me me and Adam really hit it off and um, he played eventually with me um, like a bass player left and he started playing bass in the violators and and I played I put on this um, this is around 2003 I think it could have been four but I I had a, this residency at the fire where I picked the bands every week so then I backed Adam up once in his band and and it, and it wasn't even called the War on Drugs yet, but yeah. yeah, then he started booking shows with that outfit eventually he called it the war on drugs and i I casually was in it um but always really just interested in my stuff but then, in two thousand five, things got me and Adam kind of connected again just with each other, and we'd just be staying up late at his house recording uh he'd be playing with on me. M- on my stuff, we took a whole week off, recorded all kinds of Kurt Vile stuff. And then with that closeness, then he started booking shows as The War on Drugs again. And I, and for a minute, I was really into it, you know, for sure. Yeah. Because we were like, it was like a celebration of friendship and this new sound. But then, yeah, once once he actually got a, a record deal, you know, was on the horizon, I, I totally, I sort of shut down because I was... I was stoked to be involved, but it, you know we were both just trying to make it. we were both trying to make it out in our own way and uh once he he actually had a record deal, and it took me a while before I found my way. I definitely wasn't as interested in playing it because it became something different because even like the secretly Canadian, which they were just trying to make a story on but it, it just like in the press, was like the Kurt Viles was the lead guitarist of the war on drugs, which never was exactly true. it was yeah. like a union um
0: well, that's why I refer to it as the guys in the war and because yeah. in my romantic image, it's like this scene of musicians yeah. around where you were that are experimenting together. Yeah, but there, w- there was an awesome
1: moment. When I, th- it was like also the scene in Philly was blowing up. They they're building um, cool venues, like Johnny Brandes. We played the first show there. There wasn't a proper place to play, and all of a sudden the scene was blowing up. And Definitely playing with Adam, and people knew my CDRs, but like it, uh, if I would play a show, not as many people would come. But... Adam knew enough people and it, and it became the scene and we play a full show at uh, you know a packed show at uh you know the Khyber or something and it was definitely a celebration yeah. of the scene and and then people p- through that like people like Dave Hartley who's like now Adam's right-hand man the bass player that like he he would come to those show he joined the band later so like and then then Charlie joined the band a little later the, and the it sort of grew from that and then know adam got his first album out and charlie you know couldn't even come he would we would that's how then i my my drummer mike zhang at the time i you know offered his services naively thinking all right but then he's going to be in the violators but of course he went to europe and then you know next thing (laughs) you know next thing you know he's he's you know
0: time break the interval of the podcast this is the part of the show where I make the most of the opportunity to let you know what I am up to in the world and at the moment we are out there we are touring 2019 is a year of touring for us it was it's almost as if 2018 we put in all the hard work and this is the year that we get to enjoy it all Um, and a huge thank you to all of you that have bought tickets and are supporting the record because you're the ones that keep us busy so thank you very much for that I hope you're all well we certainly are by the time you listen to this I I think I should be home from Australia, but we've got dates around Australia and New Zealand. We played in Dubai, which was a first. Thank you to all of you that came to the show in Dubai. Uh, yeah, and I think, I think uh, in the future when this is released, I will be in London. I think that is what will be happening. Um, but wherever I am trust that I'll be keeping myself busy and that's all thanks to you, so thank you very much and of course, if you feel as if you could do with a little bit more George Ezra in your life head over to georgeezra.com where you will find all the information you need regarding tour dates and festivals uh, music and videos and the journal you can sign up to and merchandise and on and on and on and on it's all there, now 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 now, let's hear a word from our partners at Mind Charity. Brilliant. And just like that, we can head into the second half of the conversation with Mr. Kurt Vile. Do you look back on that time, um, were you getting a kick out of it? Do you remember the electricity of feeling like this scene was starting and feeling like you were a felt part of I definitely something? Felt,
1: felt like that. And then once, you know, once Adam, once, you know, once it turned into like, oh, a record deal and uh, all this press saying one thing and... The, the scene was over basically, you know, but I was Adams, uh, you know, he was my best friend. He still, I mean, he still is in spirit. I don't get to see him as much and we're all older and adults now. So it's kind of mm. like bittersweet or whatever. But I, you know, when we see each other, it's fine. But he's, mm. he's, um, it's great when I see him. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, like basically I just had too much, so much work to do. I had so many of my own CDRs, but anyway, I, somewhere like he had that deal kind of solidified for a while and, and then. And then l- luckily I got Constant Hitmaker to come out, you know, yeah. it, it ended, up, ended up coming out a little bit, bef- like uh, six months before, but it, that that was like a much smaller deal so I, I could get a thing to come out quickly. It wasn't yeah. like something that would get me a ton of press and magazines or things like that.
0: When you think back to the first tours that you went on, do you remember... An emotion, do you remember ever feeling instantly in love with the notion of touring or instantly kind of put out by the notion of No, touring?
1: I loved it. I was inspired. Um, the very first proper tour I did was with the war on drugs in Europe, but I, I said even then, I was like, I'll do this, but I, I need to open, you know?
0: I love that hustle, though. Like, I love I, the kind I of... I've
1: always been there. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, yeah, so I was playing my own music and then I was playing with Adam. And those were awesome tours. I, I mean, they, they might remember it otherwise, but I remember... Just by the end of it, I was shredding on guitar, and it was really fun.
0: I find that when I've been what? away for a long period of time, yeah, even if it's something small, something's changed in my playing a little bit when I'm yeah. back, and I'm stronger in, you know, one yeah, avenue.
1: I was definitely stronger, and I, I remember one night I was up all night. I wrote this song, "Hey Now I'm Moving," which I really liked, and it ended up on a later EP called "Square Shells." Very inspired while I was out there, and and also when I came back, I was definitely a new person. I I I. That song "Runner Ups," I had written it basically before, but when I came back, it was fully formed. And I performed mm. that song "Runner Ups" again. I think in Philly, one more show, like playing. It was me, and then the War on Drugs played, and um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's all. It all always makes you grow. Now, now that I've been doing it for a long time, it still does. But like, you don't maybe you're used to it.
0: Yeah. One thing I was gonna ask is. So you've got two kids yourself. Yeah. Do you remember your relationship with the road changing? Or did your approach to work, was it forced to change in a way, or did it naturally evolve? No. Or?
1: I mean, I, especially our first da- daughter, Awilda, those were trying times, because it was like when Smoke Ring came out, I got put me on, on more, Smoke Ring from a Halo came yes. out, it, it gave me more exposure and it was like a slow growth but there was always so we had to capitalize on that and I kept taking lots of shows and I remember it was a little shocking for me to see as well as my wife like you know we she was you know it definitely but I was like I, we I had to do it you got to you had to go everywhere that you're offered then and in a way I still do that but we can we have the luxury of being able to every time i i put a record out now i can i can have more time off in between you know but it's it, it's still you gotta when the record just comes out like now you gotta oh, man. go out you're not gonna go as far if you don't put man. put it out there you have to do it same with the press tour i was i was uh sensitive about finally coming home and want, needing a break and i had done various things you know I had put out that courtney record and still went on some tours with the violators and then they wanted me to go on. A press tour a lot, you know, a bunch of press, mm. as much as possible. Before the actual record came out, it was all just so daunting, but I'm glad I came to my senses, because you got to grease the wheel, man. This
0: is it. Like, uh, so. Like it's so nice to hear you say that, because I think no matter how big a name is or an artist is, unless you promote what you've been working on, the reality is people don't hear it. Yeah. You know? and, and then, then all you of your work has gone to... Yeah,
1: and then if you don't tour it and people don't see it, you... Pe- first of all, you're not going to get as tight, you know, people are saying these are the best shows ever, and we got a great crew now, and a great sound man, but it's all come together, and this has been, it's been 10 years, you know, since I put out records, and it'll be uh, in the fall of 2019, it'll be 10 years just on Mm -hmm. Matador alone, so it took that long for us to come, you know, I, I I look for me to be able, able to even look into the face of the audience and be able to tell that everybody's into it. And
0: yeah, it's like.
1: And you gotta, and that's not just by playing a, uh, the minimum.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, you gotta go out there and do it.
0: But it's exactly that. For even when you're having a hard day, the reward of being out there and seeing the instant reaction. There's yeah. nothing more real than that yeah. kind of. You're in a room full of people feeling something.
1: Yeah. And and I would say that playing live now informs my recording, uh, or it's equal, you know, where before the recording okay. would turn into, would inform the live thing, yeah, yeah. try it. But like now it's like we're very, it's very organic playing live and it's like the ultimate release yeah. really. And I just try to get that in the studio as well, as live as possible or, you know, just kind yeah, of, because yeah. that's like, that's instantaneous, that's like just... That's like nature. Granted, you were using electricity, but <laughs>
0: mm. my guitarist uh, David Clinky uh, had his had a son about two years ago, and um, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he was kind of obviously at first when we first went back on tour, he was struggling with that and being away from his son, and then he. I remember having a conversation with him where he said, "I've kind of come to this realization where the alternative is I'm at home." But I don't get home until eight or nine, and sure I get to say good night to him each night. But I don't get quality time with him. Whereas when I'm off a of tour, I get one month where I've got my best friend in my son, and I'm no, there, that's true, right? and I just I, rock out with my son. I realize
1: that. Yeah, it's. I the realize that as well, because that's the. Uh, plus, you know, if you're an artist, you'd just be freaking miserable, you know, if really. <laughs> <would> <laughs> Like, you're there, and then you're just like, well,
0: I should be... I lose my mind when
1: I'm, like... Well, the only... I mean, not because... Not even just... It, it's tricky, because you don't want to be away.
0: Yeah.
1: But you want to be playing music. Mm. And then, like, you'd, what, you know once you play to people, you're like, this is what... This is this is long, long time coming, final payoff. You, you need know?
0: to get that Vegas residency curve. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Moving to Nevada.
1: Yeah. But that all that said, I do uh, fantasize... I think after this, a bunch of this, however long this lasts, you know, I think I'm gonna take like a, like a sh- straight year off or yeah. something, you know, eventually, and just because I've taken months, a few months off, yeah. but I think I'm gonna take a year off, like stay in the same place, stay in Philly, maybe, maybe make a record in Philly, you yeah. know, still be working on music, but. Uh,
0: but also, you have to imagine at the end of that 12 months how hungry you'll be for the road thing and it will be better for the people coming to the shows potentially because it's like I've wanted this for you know yeah maybe I, I've been gearing we'll see it. yeah, <laughs> like all, yeah it starts, <laughs> it'll start out rusty probably right. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. so one thing so I would absolutely love to talk about Bottle It In oh yeah and I just there's I absolutely love it as an album one of my standout moments for me personally mm-hmm. is Bassackwood's oh, and yeah. I think like I know y- you've done it a lot, and time and time again, but these kind of ten-minute-long songs, and th- something about this one in particular—it's so—it's such a pleasure to listen to. It's so easy, and there's something like a mantra about it. Yeah, and it's I put sort it on, of
1: meditative.
0: This is it. Kind of six minutes in, I realise it's like my heart rate slowed down, and I—I I feel as if I'm—I'm I'm benefiting from this this song how do you go about writing it do you kind of come up with something that feels meditative to to you that you keep (coughs) playing
1: yeah basically there's two basic parts and and like maybe the second part has another variation
0: Mm.
1: of which you know i probably got the second variation down the night before in the hotel (laughs) uh but and then the lyrics i had all the lyrics there's some ad-libs in there like you know uh but the basic i had the basic lyrics i didn't Th- I didn't like know it would be that long, you know, but I, uh, but I wasn't surprised either, because yeah. now I know sort of what I'm doing, and I thought, you just kind of go with it. And that was definitely exactly what I was saying. That was reacting from playing live uh, the night or so before in our very last Violator show for the last record in Salt Lake City, Utah, you know. Like, we played this outdoor show, and I wasn't even thinking much of it, because we played a European tour before that, which was great, but it burned me out. I was yeah. like, all right, one more gig, and then I'm going to fly by myself to to... To LA and record with this new guy Sean Everett who did that and I was feeling it and I, I just knew especially I didn't know this guy and I was like I better just keep it simple and uh, I said all right right, we'll just roll tape we'll play this drum machine I'm gonna sing and play it once and and not even think about it yeah. because I'm nervous anyway and and then I just got lost in it and I kept some parts going a little long, some, some p- back of my mind is like I'll, I'll cut this down if it doesn't work out, yeah. but you get the basic sentiment down and then you just jam and off, th- you know, I find often when you're kind of, I'm definitely feeling it, but I'm almost up in, in the clouds, so I'm like, don't even think about it, and then I was like okay, play that again and I'll just play another guitar to it really quick and then I just did a few versions and yeah. at first you're like well, oh I like this version, I like that, and maybe I'll combine takes which i have done in my life sure um but
0: one kind of presents itself for the end at the end yeah
1: we went with take one take two or something
0: uh, when you talk about the ad libs and lyrics would that be things like well there wasn't no format well we like it like that." not
1: no that that was uh that's written that's written it's like certain inflections are written but like more like on the yes
0: yeah, <laughs> and the yes yeah, or like yeah, yeah. The,
1: the way things that's just the way things is these days that's yeah. an ad lib you know it's the way things come out
0: and do you have because throughout your releases there's these kind of to me they seem like punch lines or hook lines and they'll either be the album titles song titles one-off lyrics do you do they come to you sporadically, yeah, just day and to
1: and day? It, and actually, yeah. Another thing in the hotel room the night before, like I, I had the the hook backwards written, like from a sound check. I was playing my song on tour, mm. which is C to D, you know, <laughs> and I was playing it backwards, D to C, and I was like joking that I was playing on tour backwards, <laughs> and then it turned into bass backwards. Um, but then the night before, I so I had like all the rants written, mm. but then, yeah, while I was in the hotel, I came up, l- luckily, you know, because otherwise maybe I would have just gone in and not had like a some kind of hook, refrain or whatever, but mm. it turned into the, yeah, I made it make sense and things all of a sudden went into reverse,
0: you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, The one of the songs, um... Don't mind me as I eat. Yeah, no, that's for, for fine, breakfast. that's fine. Um, check Baby. Yeah. Um, a song like that, I get the sense, as a listener, that it kind of starts as a jam.
1: Yeah, well, I started that solo as well, my bandmate Rob, who lived in, who's an engineer as well, multi-instrumentalist. Yeah, um, in a way, it's a jam. Uh, conveniently, you know, that would basically just have one, one chord progression in, in sort of the moment, and it is live again but live to again to a drum machine with electric guitar and singing uh, in the studio without headphones singing through like an SM7 so that way it, you know in the control room so it can be blasting through so yeah, like you're yeah. rocking out but yeah. it's not going to pick you're up not all losing that stuff the vocal kind of uh and then you don't have to get lost scared in headphones yeah. which makes you like feel more like the most alone person in it the world th-
0: it makes it feel really it makes like you not sing. sterile. yeah but, uh, yeah
1: so anyway, yeah, so I, you know, I had a lot of lyrics for that. And again, I honestly, I kind of think I should have cut it down a little. There's a couple I, I wish i cut down a little <laughs> bit. I, but I was just too attached at the time, very close to it, yeah. you know, lots of late nights at home, killing my ears, blasting it in headphones, like drinking beers, tons of beer, you know, just like yeah, trying yeah. to just get this record done. I I've, I've, uh, I haven't I've drank this whole tour, which is amazing, but I needed to do it. Yeah. But anyway, um uh, but anyway yeah that's so that's yeah that's that is a jam you know because it's singing live and like the leads are done live and um lots of variations and and saying the same basic thing <laughs> yeah. like a psychedelic sound yeah. check like uh, you know infi- in I through love infinity. i love check old man yeah i love that's that. a check old man that's actually my um <laughs> one of my best old buddies uh i used to call him an old man but he used to be our tour manager sound guy guitar tech all in one um but uh and then he happened to be in town working with somebody else when we were recording i was like that's you tommy
0: yeah 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 you're the old man
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you know it's, it's it's loving it's funny
0: and i've got to say just while we're on bottle it in um my favorite song is I think at the moment is rolling with the flow. Oh, thanks. It's like cuz that's what you were talking about earlier those kind of like the pop songs that come out on the album and they'll be so you finish a 10 yeah. minute tune like that mm-hmm. and then soon after you're hit with this song that's just so it's like you're doing a service to the people listening it to that's it's just so relaxing.
1: Yeah, do you do you do you know some people don't know that's actually a cover. That's a Charlie Rich song.
0: Oh, no way. Yeah.
1: I didn't know that. Yeah, no, so, like, I was like, that's a, it's like a country politan version of Charlie Rich. He first, he was like the Sun Records guy. He was pretty smooth even then. Yeah. But yeah, no, I get, that was like, um, yeah, I mean, if I could really do that kind of AM Gold with a whole modulation thing,
0: I could, but that's, that's how I got to
1: do it through other people first.
0: (laughs) I just, it's such a, I don't know, it's one of those, um,
1: yeah. That's yeah. that's one of my best ad libs of all time as well though. How's it going? In the yeah, <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: How's it going? <laughs> I like that. Right in the pocket.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got a key change as well.
1: That's what I mean. That's a modulation I would Yeah, yeah. It's I tried to do that on One Trick Ponies and then I listened back, you know, months later. I hadn't li- we I went to the studio for one day in LA with Rob Schnapp and um my friends Farmer Dave and Stella played on it. And that does have a key change, you know, it goes up
0: mm.
1: in the chorus, but then we listened back a few months later, whenever <laughs> I came back, and we're like, whoop, it's like, Love you all, <laughs> and all and I was like, all right, cut that out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what were we oh, thinking?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you've got these songs, especially the, like, super, the, as I'm going to keep going back to that, the sense of the mantra thing, um, how do you approach that live do you say well this is the structure on the album and therefore we're going to stay true to that live
1: no uh, uh luckily it come. you know luckily the songs are simple enough that sure there's some trial and errors mm. um but they're open enough that you know just wait till i sing again um or stop mm. you know uh but it takes some th- but yeah it's funny uh, in, in, a lot of times, a song will get longer live, but in this record, certain songs are just a little shorter. You know? <laughs> um, Bass Ackwards is my, maybe just a little bit shorter. Uh, Skinny Mini is definitely a little bit shorter, and Check Baby is a little bit shorter than on the record. But um,
0: Do you go... like? Do you find that you get into a live swing of... It ends up being the same structure each night? Or do, do, will it change...
1: Well, sometimes, but, now, but there's still... I keep it open, you know, mm. things like in in between verses, you know, bass backwards. It could be sh- shorter or longer, you know, mm. uh, with those hypnotic grooves.
0: Are you able to pinpoint what happens... Like, Believe I'm Going Down, I think got attention on a level that you hadn't had before that. Or especially in the UK, yeah, it felt I like think
1: that. I think every record got a little more attention, but yeah. But believe Him going down had pretty pimpin', which is a total pop song, yeah. which I'm surprised it wasn't didn't do even bigger over here. But that's fine, because um, in the states it really blew up. And yeah, I would say this 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 album doesn't have a. Uh, did I say pretty pimpin'? Yeah. Did I say pretty pimpin' or did I just say believe Him? Okay, pretty pimpin'. That's like a pop jam, and it, it was big in the states. Um,
0: is that what you hang the success of the album on? Not
1: like, not alone, because no. it's a kind of pure album. I'm really proud of it. I had to get back to my roots. I had, it was very stripped down, very kind of pure. Yeah, and not as yeah. The, this you know the structure is even more fragmented at times on this new yeah. record. You know, but that's just where it's at. That's one mode. I mean, there's plenty of songs that didn't make the record that I'm proud of. But they're all sort of fragmented for maybe these fragmented psyche times, you know. Um, um, but yeah, um, I a big part of that, jump. You know, I never sort of had a hit song, you know. I, I would like to have a real hit song, like, in the pop charts somehow, yeah. you know, that'd be cool. I think one day I'll just work towards that somehow. Yeah. For each, all that stuff is like uh, payola probably anyway, we'll, but we'll just pay those people.
0: <laughs> no, no i wish it was
1: <laughs> yeah well whatever i'd still probably got to be who you know a little
0: do you think, but did you af- did you approach the promotion of that album any differently no but we did i think
1: uh with the, with matador you know i think every time they I w- they knew i was more of a pro profile artist every time they knew yeah. to promote it not they I mean, they always promoted it hard but maybe I, I did more press for it and toured more I,
0: yeah, I don't know. I love hearing you say that you would, you, you know, you would love to have a kind of a big pop tune in the hit parade kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think that one or two people I've spoken to, you get the sense they shy away from that deliberately, and I don't know what the but reason for that is. I just
1: love. I think about it. like, sure, the pop is different now. There's still people like, like Adele. Hello, yeah, is that yeah, what it's yeah. called? I mean, that's a massive song. I, would never be like that but still that's pretty like still in its own way that's a conventional song
0: well she opens that song by saying hello and you've got how's it going yeah so yeah. you're <laughs> one step True. in the right direction.
1: but like I don't know what but then I but I think about like classics yeah. like um, Tom Petty learning to fly I don't even really know where that went on the charts but I feel like if you had that a song like that today it should yeah. go straight up yeah you know, maybe. I think
0: that uh, the the best pop songs that do the thing and do that hit thing I think what they manage to do that you can 't put your finger on exactly is they manage to kind of capture what 's going on at the time and they soundtrack and so that because of that you're you 're at the mercy of a lot of variables I think it's kind yeah. of culturally what 's going on socially what 's going on true you know we had a song on this album that we released and my record label were like honestly I think we should wait till the summer to release this single and I was going yeah but if people like it they'll like it in the winter as well and they were going no honestly let's release it when the sun is out and I'm sure it made a difference oh yeah that's cool it it, it It has that feeling
1: cruel 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 summer
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> and just one other thing I'd love to talk to you about is, so your collaboration with somebody like Courtney Barney, even throughout this conversation we've spoken about the collaboration mm-hmm. in your career and, and is it, was that something that came around very naturally and was it easy to find the time to get together and, you know, put everything down?
1: Well, that, that was sort of um, a, a part of the this style of making this record and growing in general of, you know, doing this, making my record all, all all over the place and on the on the run on the road, and I'm um just two Australian summers, American winters, you know, uh, is when I, two consecutive Australian summers is when we made that record, you know, the first time it was just a few days when I was on tour with the band, the Violators, and then I came back solo, knowing I was gonna finish some sort of record with Courtney, I thought, either an EP or like, see what happened. And um, so that, you know, we've had maybe six or so more days uh, the next summer. And yeah, that was beautiful. And uh, I, I was definitely inspired by working with her in general and working with an awesome girl, beautiful voice, somebody I, I was really wanted to be friends with her. You know, I, mm-hmm. I met her once and then I liked her a lot. I liked her relatable voice and kind of drawl. And but then, yeah, then she put out a. After I had met her, you know, she opened for me. She gave me the EP. The, uh, my favorite song was the one that I covered on the record, uh, "Out of the Woodwork." But anyway, mm. then I heard uh, "Depressing" on the radio, and then I was just totally in love. I I, I liked her a lot anyway. But then I saw, heard that song and it blew yeah. my mind. And I was like, I, w- I got to make a want to make a song with this girl. Or, or even, like, I just was thinking about how much I loved it. I was just listening to it, and then I wrote a song that I thought would be good mm. with her and my, mine, which was uh, over everything, and that that's what was the plan. I was like, oh, I'll come to Australia. We'll do one song. And she's like, and she just like was like, let's do two. I'll, I'll write one, too. Nice. And then it just grew. It just grew from there. And mm. It was, yeah. And then going on tour, was, we just got so close. Yeah, so she's, like, one of my best friends uh, in spirit, you know, because I don't see her that much, but... Yeah. We just have this thing, and I uh, can't wait to see her again. Yeah.
0: Do you have moments ever where you kind of stand back and take in everything that you do day to day and go, Fuck, this is amazing?
1: Like, um, I mean, I, I'm definitely proud. I definitely look at my accumulating records and I look, and then, yeah, or be able to make a record with Courtney so quick, you know, um. I'm definitely proud, for sure.
0: Man, you should be. I think it's. uh, I just. I would like to stand back
1: in Philly for one year and just take it really slow. Maybe then I'll really. Then I'll really be able to sit back and hopefully not. You know, hopefully do what I want it to do, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so the one thing that you've, you've mentioned is how recently you started piecing albums together in a different way whereby you kind of write a few songs, record them on the move, wherever you are, get it down, and it stops, it eradicates that kind of, okay, I'm in the studio for X amount of time. That's the only way I've ever recorded is write the songs and then squirrel myself away for however long. And I really want to get out of that routine. Well, I
1: tell you, I've even learned, because in the past, I did like the studio, like to just live in the studio. Yeah. Maybe I would again if it was in my house or something or close in Philly. That's what I think. I think I, I'm, I'm due to make a record in Philly and just. But even even there were three different times maybe that I I did more. I stayed in the stor- studio more than maybe is in the story of my bio, which I kind of eat my words because everybody's like, oh, so you made this, record this a lot of places. I'm like, well, oh, I've always done that. But anyway, I was. I def. There were definitely a couple, couple, two to three excursions where I was in the studio for two weeks, and that's just too long. Mm. Um, a few days, you know, a week. Yeah. <laughs> two weeks is too long. I, I like. I just feel like you just, you because you're in there that long, it makes you not like. You're like, oh, we'll fix this later. We'll do this later. Yeah, like, right. it, it, it makes you sluggish in yeah. the psyche. So. I like going in and out, yeah. But I, that's part, maybe partly getting older as well, like not wanting to. Like I had d- legitimate fear of the the concept of uh, making a record from scratch after like a long touring thing. I just was like, just go in and out while yeah. I can. And I got now. Now I'm sitting on a lot of things too. I'm gonna definitely put out a couple EPs at least. Oh, nice. You know, for sure. Before and then, but yeah, I like I like the idea of making a simple record at home. Mm.
0: Listen, man, I've absolutely loved this. Thank you Yeah, for this time. is awesome. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. And I just I hope that everything, you know, on the, the touring to come and the album and everything just continues to be a success. Yeah,
1: well, thank you. And good, good luck with your yeah. gig tonight.
0: <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks for being I know.
1: Maybe I'll come to your gig and you come to mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> be like, where's so and so? Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, man. thanks.
0: Here we are at the end. Thank you so much for being here. And if you haven't already heard the previous episodes, go back and check them out. Pick out a few names you like, or maybe the names you don't know so well. Maybe. Maybe they're the ones you should listen to. I don't know. But, thank you very much. A huge thank you to Kurt Vile. A thank you to Warren Borg, who edits the podcast. Thank you very much, Warren. Uh, O'Sheen Griffin, who does the graphics and the designs that you see online. Thank you, O'Sheen. You're the man. Um, To Josh Sanger and the Closer Artists team, thank you very much for helping put this podcast together. Um, I couldn't do it without you. And. As I was saying, ladies and gentlemen, a huge thank you to all of you for listening to the podcast and supporting what we're doing. It means the world. So thank you very much. I hope you're well. I hope you're happy. Tell a friend. Why not send this episode to somebody you think will enjoy it? I'll see you soon. Bye.